If I told you half the things I've heard about this Jabba the Hutt, you'd probably shot some of them. Hello, Blabba fans, and you are very welcome to episode 28 of Blabba the Hutt. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome and will gladly pay you the reward of 25,000. So the only thing that you can tell me is that I will find Jabba at Jabba's palace. Hello, Blabaverse. We have a very special episode for you today and a very special guest. Um, before we get started, we are your hosts, Kate and Gary. Say hi, Gary. Everyone hasn't heard from you yet. <laughs> hi, Gary. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to do it. I don't think you've done that one for a while. <laughs> so you're clear. It's only when you ask me to do it, I do it. Anyways, so for this episode, we'll be featuring Peter Curran. Gary, do you want to give a little overview of who this awesome guy is? Well, for those of you who are in the know, Peter is a VFX legend in the industry. He has worked on over 300 productions and worked on some of the biggest blockbusters imaginable. But for us and always to us, he got his start at 18 years of age on a little film called Star Wars, working under none other than the director of American Graffiti. Kate, what was that dude's name again? Oh, I think it was like George something. Yeah, that's that's the one. Yeah, <laughs> Lord Lord Jukas, that's the one. That's who it was. <laughs> but yeah, we have had an interview with an ILM OG, somebody who was there from the very very beginning. Got to start with George Lucas at age eighteen, and has gone on to work on some incredible productions such as The Adams Family, Men in Black, RoboCop, Starship Troopers. You name it. His CV reads as a be all and end all a true master of his craft and we at Blab of the Hut were delighted to sit down and have a little chat with Peter. Yes. So without further ado, let's hit it. So first of all, can we just say, Peter, on behalf of myself and Kate, um, thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us. It's an honor and a privilege to have somebody who's not just a legend within the Star Wars universe, but somebody who is synonymous with VFX throughout the numerous productions that you've worked on so myself and Kate can't thank you enough for taking the the time to come and chat to us today it's our it's our honor well thank you I uh, I haven't been praised that much for a long time so <laughs> I I uh, hope I can keep your uh, listeners uh, interested we we have absolutely no doubt about that um so I suppose be, before we get started just the one question that we have to ask is everyone has seen the famous photo from the Disney Plus ILM series, and it has sort of become a bit of a, a phenomenon since the series has dropped. Could you tell us what was actually going on at that time, if you can remember, and what was actually going through your head at that time? Sure. Um, this was, uh, I'm pretty sure it was, it was early on, and uh, he was actually just looking at the colors of uh, wedges for, you know, like uh, interactive uh, or animated effects and lasers and stuff. And, you know, he, uh, he he was coming through the department and he wanted to, uh, you know, we have this huge light table. It was a, you know, four by eight foot light table, which um, I I would say after all these years, I probably should not have been staring into very, as, as often as I did. 
but it was this huge light table that took up about you know a third of the room. So he came through, and uh, I think we pulled out some wedges for him to uh, him to check out. He was looking at them, you know. Originally, uh, I, you know, there there may be lots of different stories about the, the cones of lasers, but uh, when I was hired on, uh, Adam, the guy in charge of the department, said that uh, well, we were picking red and green, and uh, uh, the red was for the uh, was, was for the good guy because it was uh, the blood and toil, and he fights the enemy, and green was for the money and uh, aspect of. Uh, empire so i mean i guess you could make up any any, any story you wanted about that kind of stuff interesting but that's that's what was that's what was going on at the, at the time cool well thanks for giving us that description so mm -hmm. peter can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got started in the industry well I got started on Star Wars. That was my first job. I was, you know, I, I think that when I was like seven years old, I started tinkering around with my grandfather's camera, and, you know, the kind of effects. I was really interested. Uh, I think when I saw, I think the first Harry Harryhausen film I saw was, uh, uh, it came from beneath the sea. I was just go, going through the, you know, going through the channels, <laughs> the dial. And uh, and I thought it was real. I, I I really was interested in things that you could do and see that, uh, that it took a little bit of time and effort to put into. So that's what probably got me interested in the first place. Uh, I I bought the uh, the, the book um, the, the special effects, the technique of special effects cinematography by Raymond Fielding. I I I, I read that book in and out. I I. It was my favorite bathroom material. <laughs> the um, and, and when it came time to go to school, I, I well, the first school I was interested in was uh, actually Temple University because Raymond Fielding was teaching there, and uh, and and that was in Pennsylvania, so it was real close. I, I was living in New Jersey, so we uh, drove there, and I met you know, Raymond Fielding, and I told him how much I really enjoyed his book, and I really wanted to get into the business, and, and he was such a downer. He just said, oh, you'll never find a job. <laughs> there's, there's nothing going on in visual effects now, and, and so I said, well, okay, thank you, and I left, and I said, I don't want to go to school here. <laughs> this guy's really, <laughs> really bringing me down, so, so I, I, I looked at CalArts, which was uh, in Southern California, because there was this book by uh, AFI, and it was about all the different schools that offered, uh, you know, college courses in, in film, and, and uh, CalArts had like a ton of equipment. So I said, I gotta go. I gotta go. And my parents couldn't really afford to send me there, but uh, I went there anyway. You know, saved some money, and uh, I, I got through like the first year. I, um, uh, and and a friend of mine. Uh, who was also going there at the time? His name was Mike Ross. He uh, uh, he, he he got a job at the Patty Freeland, which is uh, people that animated the Pink Panther. Uh, that was in the Valley, uh, in Van Nuys, very close to where uh, uh, ILM was at the time. Val G. I think uh, they were a few streets over. And Depatty Freeling, I think, was one of the companies that had been hired uh, to try to make 
the land speeder looked like it was floating. And that was a big, mm. that was a, that was a big deal because it's like this land speeder uh, with like this three wheel uh, English car with the steering wheel on the right side. And they were just trying to figure all these ways that they could actually make this thing look like it's floating off the ground. And, you know, nowadays it's, it's not really much of a problem. You know, you, you can do digital compositing seamless, you know, you, you don't know where the line is, you know, you can make it look the way you want it to. You don't have to wait till it comes back the next day to find out that it's wrong. <laughs> you can, you can fix it right away. But, so anyway, he he had uh, I think uh, gotten in touch with ILM at that point, and then they hired him. And I asked him if I could get a, an interview because um, I, I I would love, I would I would love to work on a movie, of course. And uh, and and so he put me in touch with Dykstra. And Dykstra, you know, uh, and this may answer some of your questions, like about the. Uh, Demo reel, you know, Dykstra said, you know, bringing your, bringing your demo reel, I'll take a look at it. My demo reel basically was all 16 millimeter stuff that I was doing at Cal Arts. Uh, and I had this splicer that supposedly, you know, did these uh, laser cut splices on, onto films so they're invisible. And, and then what I should have done was just put it together for tape splices because the damn thing, could, when I ran it for Dykstra, the, the thing just kept falling apart. You know, every, every splice just kept breaking. And, and I would like rethread it, and start it running again, and then it would just break again. And, and I could tell he wasn't, <laughs> he, was, he was getting a little fed up. So I said, look, I, I just let me work here for a week and I will, I, I, you know, let me work here for a week. Uh, I, I will do the best I can. And at the end of the week, you can, you know, and, and I'll work for free. And at the end of the week, you know, you can evaluate me and decide whether or not, uh, you know, you want to keep me on. If you don't want to keep me on, there's no, you can let me go and you don't own me. So he went along with that. And, uh, you know, that's how I, that's how I got the job. I, I suspect he was able to see enough of my demo reel to know that this wasn't just some gag that I put on people. But I suppose in offering to work for uh, for free as well, Peter, um, was that a case of that you had this opportunity then in working for free that it was seen as, I suppose, no risk in that you would get to utilize your own skill set while at the same time showing that you could pick up new skills from maybe more experienced practitioners uh, relatively quickly in the hope of being kept on? Well, I'm not sure I could get all that done, in a but it uh, was definitely uh, the idea was that I, I wanted to get my foot in the door, I wanted to see I wanted to see if I could even do what they were, you know, I mean, this was a professional, as far as I was concerned, it was a professional job, it was a job. So any, mm -hmm. any, any job was a professional job. So I wanted to, you know, uh, do the best I, you know, do the best I could. So. Very cool. So Peter, can you tell us a little bit more about who some of your heroes in the industry are, or maybe like who inspired you to perfect your craft? Well, you know, I, I think everybody who got into the business uh, was always inspired by Ray Harryhausen. I, I never actually met Ray Harryhausen. I, I have like these weird ideas that 
I, I like I, I like to do things that other people aren't doing. <laughs> and when something gets really popular, it's like, man, maybe it's time to move on. I think Ray Harryhausen was definitely got very popular. I, I uh, you know, there are some people I got to meet. Uh, actually, on Star Wars, I got to meet Osama Tezuka, who was the guy who invented you know, Japanese anime. Wow. That's so, cool. Yeah. No, there's, you know, um, someday I'll make a list of the, the people that I actually met. And, 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 and to me, it's like meeting somebody is like actually sitting down and, you know, talking to them, not just standing there, shaking their hand and taking a right. picture with them, you know, uh, which I, which I very, very, so, um, but I, you know, and then the people, when I um, when I came out here, uh, uh, Jim Danforth, you know, I, I had gone uh, while well, I was at Cal Arts. I was on a uh, work study program. I did a uh, a little paper. They said anybody who's interested in you know spending a little bit of time in Disney Studios, uh, you know, sign you know do, do a paper that says says why and uh, what said yeah. So I said I was interested in uh, special effects and optics and stuff. So. I got to meet, uh, you know, all the guys at the uh, optical uh, department over at uh, Disney, used to slice it, or crookshank. They, they won an Academy for the knobs of broomsticks, which I seriously uh, thought was a mistake because I thought Jim Danforth really deserved it that year for the Dinosaurs World Year. But in any case, they, I, I got to meet them, uh, Phil, uh, Another guy. His, his, I, I used to go into his room where he had his optical printer and he had a picture of the Ed creature. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's like a, a, a drawing of the Ed creature from, from the planet. And, you know, I said, Where'd you get that? And he goes, Oh, my dad drew it. His, his dad was Whoa. Joshua Metter, who, who animated the, That's crazy. Uh, the Ed creature. Yeah. Um, so, so then we know you you got your start on Star Wars, which I suppose in the grander scheme of things, it was a pretty decent first gig to to get. Um, at that time, what were your first impressions of a certain director of American graffiti, and then the environment which would eventually become ILM? Yeah. Well, uh, when I first got the job on Star Wars, I mean everybody referred to George Lucas as the guy who. American graffiti. You know, it's like, I don't know. I think a friend of mine who went out bar hopping one night. Oh yeah, what was the name of this movie? American graffiti. No better way to turn off. <laughs> to, to, uh, oh, okay, great. But um, uh, he was in England most of the time. When I was, when I was there uh, at Ireland. He was shooting a lot of action, and uh, so I would say. Interactions with Adam and Dykstra. Uh, Lucas came back occasionally. Uh, I when when I first started working there, and, and this is this is a story. Uh, Adam's job was animating explosions, and uh, 
and I thought they were cool. Uh, and I saw them in Dalens and I just went to Adam and said, you know, Adam, you know, there was this movie made in 1957 called This Island Earth. And what they did was they shot explosions against black and then they composited them over the spaceships. And Adam actually didn't like that idea because he, was, he had been hired to animate these explosions. So if he ever like said to somebody, hey, why don't you just do, you know, real explosions and put them over the spaceships? He would have been out of the job that he really wanted to do, which, you know. Um, and uh, what happened was uh, Lucas, Lucas came back from England and sat down in Dalian's. And, you know, Dykstra was showing him you know, a bunch of composites that were done. It was this one composite that tie shit blowing up and it had you know, it, it, it what they did was they used like primer cord originally you know which just kind of goes boom it just blows things you know it's there in one frame it's gone the next frame you know and adam did these wonderful animated explosions to go on top of it and Dykes, or lucas looked at it and said you know, there was this movie made in 1957, This Island Earth, where they actually shot explosions against black and then composited them over the spaceships. It's almost word for word exactly what I had said to <laughs> what I had said to Adam. But I and 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 you know, I never told him. You know, it, went, it never went beyond my lips from Adam. You know, because Adam was my boss. He didn't want to hear about it, so I just said. That I'd actually brought in this, this little Castle Films version of this island earth, you know, and ran it for them because they didn't have videotape at that time. Mm -hmm. didn't have, you couldn't just show them something. I had this little uh, little silent movie, you know, of this island earth and showed it to them. I just wasn't interested. So I thought, okay, well, I guess moving on. But at late years later, I find out Ben Berger, I guess, was who had brought up this island earth to. Lucas and maybe Lucas himself worked out. It's not like to see. But Crazy. so anyway, you know, but uh, that was uh, Adam swore that I was the one who told Lucas, like, you know, <laughs> some little 19 year old kid, you know, can call him in England and say, hey, I have this idea. <laughs> you know? And it's like, okay, everybody, let's stop. I want to hear this. You know, it's like I, I, I knew absolutely nothing beyond, you know. Wow. So in, in regards to Star Wars, um, what were some of the positives and negatives of working on a project like that? And um, did you have any idea that it would become, you know, the global phenomenon that it did? Uh, global phenomenon, yeah. It's, it's surprising to me. I think the one one thing that I that I was kind of disappointed in is that the animated elements that they use for playing into composites um, were usually very contrasting elements, and I didn't really, you know, since I, I, I'm really into film stocks, you know. I, I, and when I mean film stocks, I mean, you know, <coughs> color negative, you know, auto positive, or 
1960, 1959, 1957, you know, all, all the cool film stocks that Kodak used to make. And I, you know, as a kid, I used to collect the data sheets too. Quite, I still have like all the data sheets and film stocks oh, wow. when I was a kid. And I, and I knew that the film that they were using or making their printing items on was, um, was like color print, which was about as contrasting. Yeah, but I didn't really make a big deal out of it until until I was on Empire, uh, because I was still I was still a kid on you know, Star Wars. Even though uh, I was the first one to add uh, perspective to the lasers, you know, so I, I had to I had to like do a test at night when I was you know to just show them the way I thought you know things. Animation should be moving immediately like that. So, and then I um, was also uh, started experimenting with uh, interactive light and shadows. Uh, I, that was something that I don't think anyone had ever you know, screwed around with before. And I thought something needed to be done to you know, make elements more interactive. It wasn't as it wasn't as successful on Star Wars because that was something that I just started scrolling around with about halfway through it. But then, you know, like Ken Walston called it down to the stage and said, uh, "Hey, look, we can add little lights to the to the to the miniatures too." And and, uh, and and Ken Walston, you know, brought me down to the stage and showed me how you know they were influenced by the idea of adding you know interactive light to stuff. It started showing me, you know, like the, the We'll start adding stuff on the on the stage too, but I guess that was that was kind of like you know what what went through on on Star Wars, uh, and then uh, I, I don't want to jump jump the gun. Hired me as Empire uh, Empire as animation supervisor, and I really wanted to include the animation elements, but you know it's like I, I learned that. The animation, animation, roto animation is like kind of a low, low man on the totem I had actually been given a lecture that said, you know, we spend nine hours, nine, ten hours on composites, you know, putting the spaceships and the bats and all the different stuff. And we don't want to ruin it by having the black density of your animation elements be too thin and flash the shine. And that was an issue. Yeah. So the reason that the animation elements were printed the way they were printed was because on a, on a color print stock, the black is very dense. And you don't have to worry. You can print that in any way exposure and you're not going to flash you know, the rest of the shot. And I mean, that is a consideration. But uh, I realized I didn't know enough about optical printing at that point to be able to figure out how to how to how to improve how to improve those elements. So uh, I I left it and ended up starting my own business. You know, for any number of reasons, but one of them was I really wanted to figure out how to make printing elements look better. Of course, nowadays it doesn't matter because the computer changed everything. You don't have to worry about print numbers and going through multiple generations and you know, screwing up something you know, like you don't find out about until the next day. 
Well, since you mentioned that, Peter, something that, I, that I've wanted to ask you about uh, within your career, you mentioned sort of lowest man on the totem pole there. Were you essentially thrown into the 3PO costume because you were the lowest man on the totem pole and they just needed somebody? And I fit, you know, I was, I was probably, I was the skinniest guy there, you know, and, and, and I think was pretty skinny. I'm not skinny anymore. I've never fitted in the suit. <laughs> but, you know, I think they, uh, they said, uh, well, it, it, the reason, I mean, and it wasn't really a production shoot. I mean, it wasn't like uh, the, you know, live action crews back to shoot this scene. It was a, I think it was an idea that may have been by one of the shorts, uh, one, of, one, of the sh- one of the shorts, that, that, that's the last name of a couple of the guys who worked there. Uh, not Bob Short, but yeah, I can't think of his name, but he, I think he came up with this idea that you, you know, in relationship to the land speeder, how to make the land speeder look like it's floating above the ground. And his idea was to put a uh, plexiglass mirror uh, underneath and point it at, you know, angle it at the ground so that it reflected the ground. And it, and it seemed to work. And it at least worked for, you know, some wide shots, you know, where they're doing back and forth wide, wide shot, the transition shots. So uh, because it was kind of an island, thing um, they they uh, they pulled me and said yeah i'll go man on the totem pole <laughs> you we're gonna put you in the suit and, and you go pick up our camera so it's like and 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 where they were doing this was at um it's just north of los angeles it wasn't it wasn't just out so uh, there's just like a big dry lake And I was actually very close to there since I was still living in Cal Arts. Uh, I, I was very close to there, but they asked me to go pick up Mark Hamill, who lived down in Malibu. So I had to go all the way down to Malibu to go pick him up and, oh, then, wow. and then back up to this place. Was, what was uh, the conversation like <laughs> in the car with Mark well, Hamill? Well, first off, he had just had his accident. So his, his oh, wow. nose was and he would, he, he would gross you out by going like that. He would, he would see the pin <laughs> like that. He'd go like that. He'd see the pin coming out this side. And let's see, what else? He, he, I, <clears throat> you know, while I was at CalArts, there was a thing that said, you know, get your picture taken. You know, for $10, like $10 or something like that. And I had it lying in the back so he looks at it and goes, oh, you want to become an actor? And I said, no, not really. <laughs> but, uh, and let's see, when, uh, when I got into the vehicle, now the, the land speeder, for one thing, like I said, was a English so it's very good inside. And that meant that I had pride uh, being in the passenger side. And uh, and so I get in the car, and there's there's no firewall between your legs and the engine. 
so it's very hot. And it was a stick shift. And I said, you know what? I, I'm, I don't know how to drive a stick shift. And said, well, give it your best. And I kept stalling out. So said, okay, they got me out of the car. And I was driven around Bill Short, like the said, Bill Short, that's it. Because it was his car. He had a, you know, and, uh, he drove around for a little while showing me how to show years. So I so I did that. He got a car. Mark. Uh, we go so far, and we knew that was as far as the tape. And then after that, he would jam his foot on the on, jam his foot on the accelerator and like grab the steering wheel and like go towards these things he called heffalumps, which were like just big grass things sticking out in <laughs> sand and, and jump over. I mean, you gotta remember, he guy just had a car accident and he's like going <laughs> crazy. <laughs> but anyway, so that, that was my. That's an amazing story. That's so cool. <laughs> so you got to be CPO and a chauffeur all in the space of a, all in the space of a production. Yeah, all in the space of a day. <laughs> wow. Um, Crazy. That be, that brings us on then, Peter. Obviously, you have been on involved in. Am I right in saying it's well over three hundred productions, give or take? Yes. Yes. Um. Throughout your career then and sort of as you progressed, which are some of the projects that you were involved in that served as personal milestones for you within your career? Well, I would probably say the, the first three Star Wars. Uh, I also worked on uh, the Robocop movies, so I worked on the Adams Family, Adams Family movies. Um, these were all things that I really, I mean, and you have to remember all, all of this is also before DJ. So some of the Beetlejuice and the, you know, trying to figure out how to do things without involving computer. That, that, that was a lot. But the thing, I love the thing. Mm -hmm. the, uh, and, and a lot of these things were, you know, because you had to, you know, you just had to like figure out what things out of nature or of inventory you could bring together. To do something, the, uh, the thing, the thing, it's not me. <laughs> the thing, uh, you know, it was one of those things where I hooked up a, a garbage bag plastic uh, and uh, the title fish tank. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, basically did it all, did it, did it all. I like things like. You know, I, I like the, I, I like working on the computer, but I enjoyed the time before. That kind of segues nicely to our next question. So is there a difference between visual effects and special effects? And if so, can you kind of explain that to us a little bit? Well, okay. I mean, and, and, and I break it down further. Special effects, you have special photographic effects, you have special visual effects, which to me kind of meld into special digital effects. And of course, special effects is basically somebody uh, unlike myself uh, who actually has a license to 
you know, that's that's to me what special effects is. I've done that on occasion, not for any, just 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 for that. But I wouldn't I wouldn't do it on a on a special photographic effects is more along the lines. I may not blow it up and I'll shoot it. I'll shoot the elements on the stage. It's a photographic effects. Take those and combine them along with animation effects in trigger rocket effects. I would say that the computer kind of wiped out some of the in terms of process of going through and do something, creating something, something So that's that sort of brings us into Peter. You've given us a real sort of technical uh, breakdown of everything there, but then your your career further developed. So as you progress through all these projects, when was your interest in directing and producing ignited, and how did that begin to to take shape as you progressed? Well, I'm not sure that you know. It's like I I ever really had an interest to be a director. Mm -hmm. um, because if you've ever been on the set of TV movies, you find that the director is hired. The people, I, it's so weird that, you know, maybe that's not everywhere, but I was on the TV, I was on the set of some TV movies, TV shows, um, and the people that are the unifying uh, group is the crew. Because the crew is there throughout each episode production. But they hired a director, like, um, well, it's, it's a union position, you know, it's, it's like you just hire the director to be there. And uh, so I never really saw myself as a director. I, I liked, I, I really liked film. And, I, and, and uh, I guess going along with the idea that I like to, to I'm, I'm interested in things that nobody else is interested in. I kind of went from special effects to the atomic bomb because it seemed like a pretty wide open field <laughs> at the time. The uh, and I was interested in and 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 you know I wish I could show you some things that are really cool you know that uh, I, I've seen in the photography things that you know, it's like you know, weird weird physics stuff. And, and I think that's interesting. I think, you know, I, I think that's interesting. I, I, you know, when films, to me, when films become formulaic, you know, it's like, I want to move on to something that has something that, you know, says, wow, this is really interesting. And that's, you know, I'm not saying it's for everybody, but I wish it was, but I wish everybody could find their videos. But uh, that's, I, you, you know, when it came, it, it, I went to a meeting uh, in, I think it was like Riverside. It was a couple hour drive through LA from where it was to go talk to the people at the bar. And I, you know, I, I took the effects of the bar. And, and so I go and sit in this, sit in this office, which is like a, a waiting room, you know, like a dentist waiting room. And other visual effects people came in, sit down, they go in, they come out, and it was my turn to go in. 
and and you know stand in front of this group of people that uh, are saying, okay, well, what are your ideas? And I was, you know, like I told them what I was thinking, you know, for the stupid purple dinosaur, you know, against the green screen, you know, for some stuff, but you know. And then I left and I said, you know, they're never going to give me this job. I just, you know, I just wasted X number of hours of my time going to talk to these people and never mind the games, which, you know, I don't know who they'll hire, but I know it's not going to be you because it doesn't seem like And I thought, you know, if I'm going to waste my time doing something, I should make my own stuff. You know, I should make my own because, you know, at the end of it, maybe, maybe it's worth something. So that was kind of like, the, the, the day I decided that I was going to be Trinity. I was going to work on it. I was going to figure out how to do it. I was, you know, I, I, and, you know that's, that's usually how I wound up learning things is by doing things. I, you know, I, I, uh, I, had, a, I had a Mitchell camera. I, you know, I, nobody would ever teach me how to run a Mitchell camera. I had a Bible to figure it out. So we were intrigued by your handle, Adam Central. Um, and we know like with, with the movie Oppenheimer by Chris Nolan coming up, there's kind of been a resurgence in interest in, you know, things about the atomic bomb. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us like a little bit more about Adam Central and VCE and how that came to be? Well, sure. Um, I, well, first I, I, I became interested in, in uh, you know, putting together uh, Trinity. So as I started doing that, uh, and this was just before the winter, so started going on. So started going on the internet. And actually, one of the issues was that uh, you know you make a movie, and you never figured that. All right, well, somebody copies it. Well, what are they going to do with it? Stick it on the internet and show it everywhere, <laughs> you know. And then all of a sudden, it's like you know. Trinity Beyond is like all over the internet. And I can't tell you the number of subtitles I've seen for it, but it's like, you know, we never, never licensed the show to Czechoslovakia or Bulgaria, you know? And, uh, and the Russians just took it, put it on TV and, and actually hired, a, hired a narrator to narrate over it. None of these people ever paid a license. So I figured, well, I might as well get into the game too, because there's no stopping this. I just wanted to, you know, have my own set. And I've got, you know, a lot of footage that I've acquired and uh, fixed up. That's one of the things that I like doing with the computer is taking something that's all messed up and trying to make it look good, uh, which is what I've done most of the stuff now working for trying to get. You know, restore the lost, uh, you know, the, the lost footage, you know, all the stuff that uh, was done years ago. And, and you know, I'm, I'm, I have a, you know, one of, one of my jobs is, is working uh, as a consultant for the National Labs. And I can't really talk much about it because. You know, they say once you once you start talking about us, that's effectively saying that you're 
you know, you're, you're speaking for us, and I, I don't really want to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I, I became Adam Long guy. And so I was, uh, you know, put together with some people in the government, uh, actually by this guy, Bill Broad, who was uh, uh, science writers in you know, the New York Times. And so I get to look at things get paid for things that uh, I can't talk about. It's, it's really cool. I mean, there's, I, I would love to show, I mean, and, and for the longest time, I was trying to figure out how, how some of these things got shot. And I finally figured out that the camera made a mistake mm -hmm. and it was open longer than it should have been. I'm sorry. One of these days. I, I even I even wrote a, I've written a book for that, you know, which uh, unfortunately is classified. I can't. I, yeah. I'm waiting. They're, they're, they they have this plan for a whole series of books. I'm going to wait to see Well, maybe happens. one day when you can talk about it, we can uh, we can have you back to uh, to have a discussion oh, yeah. about it. Yeah. No, I'd, I'd love to. Yeah. Particularly then, with respect to the the atom bomb footage and thing, things like that, Peter, what was it about it that it became such a passion project for you? Was it specifically the challenge of restoring this older footage to, you know, showcase it in a different way to the world, or was it just the atom bomb was something that you held a a personal interest in in terms of whether it was the the research and development or anything like that? I was. Uh... I was interested, you know, I mean, because it's like every time you see before I got involved, it's almost like, you know, Lucas's interest in sound, you know, it's like, why is my sound so messed up? And, you know, and every time I see it, it's, it's like you, you really spend more time looking at the, uh, the problems with the shot than the shot itself, you know, the scratches, the, the, the flickering, the, the, the all sorts of things that just basically take your eye away from what you're actually watching. And when I made that, and, and my interest in it has been taking the old footage and making it look like the shot yesterday. I'm even doing some verticals now, you know, for, oh, well. the, for the camera. But mm -hmm. um, uh, but I wanted, you know, I wanted to sort of move the life into it because I had a pretty good idea. Exploding but I I like anal you know, the, the analog information being able to see you know, some of these things especially the the early time you know, the first year some of that stuff's been put out that Harold Edgerton. Some of the shots. His, his company was basically a company that was involved in the technical photography, scientific technical photography. And he did a book called Stop and Time. You know? So if you ever see like pictures of you know bullets going through apples, and, you know, 
it was just like you know, one frame going in and exiting out the other side, that sort of thing, going through a, you know, going, going through a, a long point. He, his trick was that you see the, the flash, have a, a flash can go off in like a microsecond, which is a lot faster than a shutter. You know, mm. sh shutter, you know, a thousandth of a second, ten, one ten thousandth of a second, but a, a flash can flash, you know, just a couple of microseconds. So, what his the way he got those pictures was that he set it up in the dark room and leave the shutter open, and then uh, at the at the point in the flash, so we have a picture that's like you know one microsecond, you know, which is next to impossible to do with the shutter on. I'm sorry, I don't mean to get it. Stuff. No, that's it's it's amazing <laughs> to hear about. It really is. It's it's an it's yeah. such an interesting topic. It's right up yeah. our alley. <laughs> well, I've, I've I've worked on both sides, you know, it's like the, the, the special effects, visual effects. So this might be a good time to ask this question. Then I think you've touched on it a little bit previously, but analog or digital, and why? Yeah. You know, I I spent most of my life doing analog stuff. I love. I, uh, in fact, I got an Academy Award for uh, coming up with a way of fixing old fake film. It's it a little late because the computer was took that work. But it, uh, I, I like working you know, with, uh, with film stocks and you know, techniques and coming up with those techniques and how to work with film stocks. You know, Kodak actually had a film stock. You know, it's like regular. You know, the stuff you buy at the store, uh, I think is like, um, they, 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 they call it the, uh, uh, what is it, the granularity. It's like 81 or something like that. And they have film stocks where it's got over 3,000, which is like really, I mean, you could, you should be able to use stock like that digitally to hold digital. Anyway, um, the, you know, the, the digital environment is, is pretty, it's, you, if you get a map on a digital composite, you're pretty bad composites. You know, you shouldn't be doing it. I mean, it, it's like everything is basically working towards, you know, making a flawless composite. And, you know, and it is you know, all the things that you couldn't you couldn't do on that. And it's um, and you don't have to look at it. You know? And if you don't like the way it looks, you can change it before you output it to the phone. You know? So you can so digital and it has all sorts of advantages. You know, and analog is fun. Digital, it's like sometimes when I'm looking at a digital composite, I, I look back and say, Now I have done this. Pros and cons on each side. Yeah. For sure. And 
you've just casually dropped into the conversation there, Peter, that you did, of course, win an Academy Award, but you won the Academy Award for something very, very specific. For those who are unaware, can you tell us the story and what you actually won the Academy Award for? Because it's such... Can we see it? It's a fascinating process. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. I just threw it in there. Anyway... um, (laughs) Well, I was working on I was working on Trinity and Neil, and you see, in each of these cases, it's like it's like I'm digging into something that I know know a lot about. I didn't know a lot about the time. I didn't know a lot about even the efforts that were going on for restoring of the films because that had been going on for a while. But the, you know, there are two different businesses. You got visual effects, and you have um, the uh, uh, restoration. Archival, archival restoration at the same time. And I remember even John Erland had said at some point, well, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be good if, if some of the ideas from one side were able to help the ideas for the other side? And so that's where I came in. And, and, and it was interesting that I, I discovered that people had been trying to figure out how to do this for a long time. How to how to fix the color? I didn't know that, you know, color color was an issue. I didn't know it was an issue until I actually got to uh, the year 1957, which was Operation Plumbob in, in nuclear era, and the people at the Department of Defense said, "Yeah, we'll loan you this. We'll loan you this film, but you know, it, there's something wrong with it. It's it's like really kind of I don't know, faded or pink or something, you know." It, Specific years were worse than others, and they said, uh, "You know, I said, well, can I, can I, uh, can I see the original negative?" And they actually loaned me the original negative of some of these things, and I experimented with it for a while, and then I remembered back on a technique that I had come up with on Return of the Jedi, uh, which was they had they had hired me on Return of the Jedi to do the uh, lightsabers. And some of the lightsabers were in the desert. And optically, it's not easy to burn a color over something that's really bright, you know, like the desert. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, well, you know, what you normally do in a case like that is you put a black matter, and that holds out the brightness of the desert. You can burn green on top of it if you wanted green lasers, you know, green lightsabers and blue lightsabers. And so you couldn't really um, make the color. Well, what would happen is you put a mat over it, and then you put the color over it, there would inevitably be some kind of a fringe, and that fringe would be black. So I thought, well, if, if I'm going to have to live with a fringe, maybe, maybe I should try making a color. I'll make a green mat instead of well, Nobody says you have to make a black mat for anything. I'll make a green mat. And put that in, so there's a little bit of fringe left in there. It'll look like uh, uh, it, it'll look like it belongs there, which is what I did on uh, Return of the Jedi for, for those. Um, but then uh, for this technique, I thought, well, what if since the, the, the problem was is that in these old films that fades and, and basically the blue layer fades, and what you get is you get this thing called crossover where the highlights look yellow and the shadows look blue 
and all the tones in between, it just has this muddy look. You can't really fix, if you try to fix the highlights and make it normal, then the shadows become really clean. If you try to fix the shadows uh, with yellow, then they, then they, then the highlights become really yellow. So I thought, well, I'm going to make a mat, a, a yellow mat that only captures the shadow areas. So when I take this mat that has just the shadow areas and put it on top of the, uh, on, on top of the uh, live action, then that'll cancel out the shadows and make them black, but it won't do anything to the highlights. And so that's basically how that, and, and I've used that technique a lot in turn part of the Cool. Beyond. Uh, so that's mind. where it where it came from. It came you know, first starting with Return of the Jedi. I definitely like immediately want to go watch Return of the Jedi now. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's incredible. It really and truly is, and it just goes to show you, you know, there are very very few in your line of work that would we you know would be considered true masters of the craft and after whatever it was over 300 productions working on some of the the biggest productions that we've ever seen you know you really and truly are one of them and one thing we also uh, wanted to bring up was that we know you've worked on so many different projects but we understand um robocop was was that potentially one of your favorites uh, a good friend of ours we recently had dublin comic-con at the weekend and he actually built a, a full-blown uh, robo suit. Oh yeah, and yeah. you and uh, Alan, our, our good friend Alan, and his hero was actually Rick Baker, who I believe you've worked with um, as well. Another legend within the within the industry. Gremlins too. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, and and uh, well, on a RoboCop. I mean, the, 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 the real genius is behind that. Robert T. Phil Taylor. I was I was. Uh, one of one of the group, but I felt in awe of you know their their abilities too. I used to pal around lovely team. And I hear it's hard to get a hold of nowadays. Yeah, and and and, and Phil Tippett was obviously his I remember when I was going to Cal Arts and, and I met Jim Danforth, I went to uh, a place called CPC, which was Cascade Pictures. And <clears throat> it was a commercial house. And Phil was working there. Ken Walston was working there. Dennis Muring was working there, as well as uh, Jim Danforth and Dave Allen. So uh, I got to see that. And, and what was funny at the time was that Tippett was a sculptor, but he'd never done any stop motion animation. Until one night they, they invited me over and we got to watch uh, Equinox without the sound and without the dialogue. And uh, Phil had bought over some testing. I remember Dennis saying, Phil, I didn't know you did animation. <laughs> so this is a long time ago. It's, it's incredible. Should we show um, Peter Allen's? Uh... Alan's Go full kit just to, just to get the approval. So this is what uh, <laughs> one of our friends had at Dublin Comic Con oh, this weekend. Wow! Did he? Oh, so he was in that suit, or is yes, it? He, is, he, yeah, he he built. Yeah, he built it from scratch. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, they you know they definitely he's definitely got the uh, got the arm, you know, <laughs> because on the uh, C three PO suit, uh, 
the uh, the, the the arm is built really close to the breastplate, so you mm. pinch your arm. If you you move your arm around, you easily pinch your arm. Yeah, C3 is this one. It looks like they've uh, taken that into consideration. <laughs> nice. They have, and we again, obviously, Alan Chong is that. But again, I have a full blown uh, stormtrooper and tie pilot outfit. You know, I am a, a, a cosplayer, a very uh, very heavily involved, <laughs> and it's thanks to people like yourself that we get to do what we do. And you know, without the incredible work you guys did behind the scenes, we we never would have had that opportunity do we have time for the quick fire questions go ahead yeah, all right should i should i hit it off gary yeah kate start it up okay so first one produce direct or animate what do i like better yeah <laughs> filming nice from that then uh peter what is the, your favorite production you have worked on You mean besides Star Wars? <laughs> it can be anything. It doesn't have to be Star Wars. Uh, I don't know. I like comics. I worked on airplanes. I, I liked it because when you go to school, it's a fun <laughs> Nice. I wish I could say I worked on a lot of comedies, but I think uh, there was, well, there was also this movie. Uh, I worked on a Chinese movie to, I think the, the title is something like Sons of Sun, which I think stands for the Mount Shu Warriors or something like that. It was, it was really interesting working on a, on a, on a, on a Chinese film. And a, a friend of mine went there and we worked on it there. It was, it was, I just like to it. It was really funny. We went, we went to a Chinese theater to go see it. And while he was there, he said, oh, you know, everything that they sell there, the food is natural. It doesn't have all these preservatives in them and all this stuff. And, and we went to this theater in, you know, in an area of LA where they have a lot of Chinese movie theaters. And uh, he, you know, he went to the snack bar and he goes, if you like this, uh, what's it, uh, not cooker. Yeah, maybe it was like some kind some some form of cooking or something like that, and uh, he, he saw it there for sale, and he said, "Yeah, I'm just, I'm going to buy it. I love this stuff." And it had a it had a sticker on it that said, "Imitation, you know, coconut flavored drink," oh, and it listed all the garbage that was in it. And the only difference was they didn't have to put that on the you know on that oh, container oh. when he was in Hong Kong. There was no, oh, wow. there was no law that said you've got to tell people which, <laughs> what's in this stuff. Truth in advertising. <laughs> yeah, it's advertising. Yeah. Oh man. All right. So, how about the most complicated project that you've worked on? I don't know. There's, there's sometimes a difference between, you know, uh, technical uh, issues and um, logistic issues. Mm -hmm. You know, because sometimes it's like some of the toughest might be like, you know, doing like, you know, Leonardo taking lightsaber shots for Return of the Jedi, you know, uh, or, uh, you know, doing like, uh, shots 
12 and so on. So, but they're logistically, it's a, it's a nightmare to have to deal with all, all of those, all of those shots. I enjoyed, uh, you know, working on Dragon's Lane because where I was interested in learning about uh, how to improve the look of our elements, I was able to put that to the test and see, you know, after, after leaving, what, what did I learn from you know, improving you know, techniques for I don't know. Probably putting together Trinity and Beyond is a big deal. <laughs> that was that was that because every shot, you know, every shot is different. You know, you you have stuff that was filmed in sixteen millimeter Kodachrome, stuff that was shot in black and white, nitrate. You have you know, and then you know, it's like you know, different different issues thrown at you on each, each type of film. Probably, no, that's a great answer. But so, probably a much simpler question then what is your favorite film of all time? Something that I worked on, or anything, anything. <laughs> um, well, if I said what was my favorite Harryhausen film? I'd say either 20 million miles to Earth and Ballet of the Lunge. But uh, you know, what is my favorite comedy? It would be uh, Team America, because I really, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Beautiful. And, uh, you know, and I was so disappointed. It's tribute to <laughs> comedies. Interesting. So another interesting question, what film do you think has the best visual effects of all time? You know, there again, it's like you have to, you have, you have to say, well, what, what is your definition of the best? Right. It's flawless, probably one of the transforming movies where it's like everything, nothing bolt is, uh, you know, mm -hmm. some little particle that is uh, flying somewhere. Um, or, you know, what I always, I always thought was the best facial effects when I was a kid, they had, uh, I'm not sure if it was, the it was a coffee commercial, and, and I'm not sure if it was like, you know, Santa or some brand of coffee, but it, it, it gave you more coffee, and they poured, they poured the coffee into the coffee cup, but it always went up like an extra half an inch above the coffee Lit. And I could never figure out how he did that. I'm still not sure, you know. And that's what that was back in you know late fifties, early sixties. You know, it's okay. Like, man, that's. I mean, you know, you look at it nowadays and you say, "Oh, well, they they used the computer to do that. Mm -hmm. It's easy. We used the computer, but I don't know how they did it back then." <laughs> Is that kind of like those baby, like baby doll bottles that would disappear? Oh yeah, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, our daughter just had a child. Oh, there you go. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wish it were that simple. And even if it was that simple, I mean, you know, it's it's like still, it's something that you pull off, you know, mm -hmm. in front of somebody and say, oh, how'd you do that? You know, that yeah, I think one of my, one, when my mom was still 
I just got my computer playing with Photoshop. I took a daughter out to uh, a place where all the poppies are out in, in, in California, a ton of poppies, and, and put her there. And then I went back on Photoshop and just started cloning little poppies all around it. So she was like filled with a field of poppies. And I showed it to my mother and she said, oh, this is wonderful. And I said, yeah, and I did this on the computer. And she said, oh, oh, you mean you just added all of these? Yeah. Oh, oh. So she was so unimpressed that it's like it wasn't real, you know? Yeah. So... So finally then, people, we come to our final question for you, for, for which this has been a, an absolute pleasure for myself and Kate. Uh, what is your favorite Star Wars scene? Well, I'd have to say it was the first shot that I did that wound up the trail. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I mean, it's, nowadays it's, it's, you know, it doesn't hold the candle. It was the first shot I the very first trail, you know, you had the tie ship coming at the camera, you had these lasers coming like this. And it, I mean, it's a very, it's a very short shot, but that was actually like the first shot that I did because it needed it for the trailer. And I got to add perspective, got to put in some flashes that have interactive light on it and stuff. And, and it was basically taking, it was basically taking a shot where it's like, here's the shot. It's just a tie ship coming to camera, you know, you add the action, you know. That's so cool. so Is that it's the one like, with the voiceover. I'm with, I'm, I think they showed it on the, the ILM's Disney Plus series. If that's the one sure. I'm thinking of. It was in the original. Like some guy's like voice in the background, like talking about Star Wars. Or is that something different? May, well, I don't know. I mean, it, <laughs> I, it was, it could have been any. I mean, but yeah. it was it was first used in the, in the, original, oh, okay. trailer, in the original trailer. So That's if you watch so the trailer, cool. you know, yeah, that was fun because it, it was like you know, the lasers actually part yeah. as as like the, uh, the, the making the shot. You know? Unlike so, anything anyone had ever seen, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I used to feel about the atomic bomb. Yeah, yeah. So that's why. Very cool. It was unlike something no one's ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Kate, do you have anything really? left to say? Because I'm I'm genuinely gobsmacked with this uh, <laughs> with this conversation. I, I genuinely am blown away. Have you uh, anything else to to add? I, I think we hit all the stuff we wanted to. Just just having Peter on was what we yeah. wanted. Anything else after that has right? been a, a bonus. I mean, I, I can't wait for people to hear this. I mean, the the stories yeah. that we were lucky enough to hear from you, Peter. It's yeah, it's, it's no doubt gonna pleasure. Be, yeah. Okay. Well, this is fun. Yeah, we'll have to have you back on after those books come out. <laughs> okay. Once once everything is declassified. Yes. Hopefully, you know, but yeah. I can't talk about it. Thank you. Peter, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. And we'll say, may the force be with you. Yes. So that was all kinds of awesome. I'm sure you would agree, Gary. Yeah, my head is still exploded just from listening to Peter's (laughs) stories and everything that he's been been involved with. I mean, it's one of the most awesome interviews I think I've ever had a part in. 
just, the man is just an encyclopedia. Yeah, he's um, one thing that kind of stood out to me, you know, uh, with this interview and you know watching the Light and Magic miniseries on Disney Plus. Sounds like we're not being we're not sponsored by Disney Plus, by the way, people. Um, <laughs> just sounds like we are, but um, like George Lucas, like really knows how to pick out geniuses. Oh yeah, that, that just hone in on their skills and and figure out ways to do things and of course peter like just by listening to this interview i'm sure you can ascertain his genius like wow this is somebody who from the get-go coming despite coming on board at such a young age and being relatively inexperienced and as he described the lowest man on the totem pole Mm -hmm. this was somebody who was a problem solver this is somebody who was a very logical and methodical thinker who yeah. worked through every problem that came across his desk with with some success on my Academy. And after 300 flicks, I think he's done and an Academy Award well case and an Academy Award <laughs> very much. so. And obviously the incredible work he's doing now with Adam Central. If you haven't had a chance to to check it out or you're unsure what it is, go to uh, AdamCentral.com and you will see some of the incredible work that Peter is is up to after, and it sounds like moment. more down the line at some point too right yeah it very much does it seems like <laughs> that there's going to be an awful lot more uh, in development but very fascinating what, what, an stuff. Abs- what an absolute pleasure and it, it was an honor for us to have the opportunity to to talk to somebody who was there from the very very beginning true that so yeah i feel like blaba is really hitting its stride like and we got lots of more awesome stuff coming up don't we we most certainly do. So should we uh, maybe let the folks know who else is going to be appearing on an upcoming episode? Let's go for it. So for those of you who have watched Obi-Wan and for those of you who have become a little bit obsessed with uh, Tika the Jawa, <laughs> we are delighted to say that uh, Lilani Shu will be appearing on an upcoming episode to talk about all things Book of Boba Fett and all things uh, Jawa. Yes. So we are we're really Woody. excited for that. It's gonna be it's gonna be a very, very interesting conversation. And you know, having worked on just a couple of Star Wars shows, Kate, nothing nothing major. Yeah. She's she's gonna have some stories to tell us, but we're excited for that. So stay tuned for, for that as well. Yeah, that's gonna be amazing. Did you wanna talk about any of the other ones or just I that think for now? we have to hold off on the other one just for now, just till we okay. find out. But yeah. So yeah, more awesome content coming up. So stay tuned for that. And be sure to catch up on our past episodes if you'd like. You can you can tune in for all our episodes on the various uh, podcasting apps, yeah. whether you use Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, we're, we're pretty much everywhere. And of course, our social media at Blah Blah The Hut. You can usually get some kind of link from there, I believe. I know we, we, need, we need to take some time to decompress after that amazing interview, so. I think that's going to be it for this episode. (laughs) Until next time. May the force be with you.